One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And today we're taking it back to the early 90s. For most of you, those years don't exist. You've never heard of them. (laughs) But for us, it's where we grew up. And we're going to talk about a fantastic title that shaped the technology of the time shaped the gaming sphere of the time being one of the most popular games ever on the PC and shapes even till today what we do in all of our kind of puzzling games and today we're talking about Myst. Yeah, Myst had a huge impact not only in video games but like you said in that technological advancement. I mean, to think about the way that we were playing games was on multiple floppy disks, you know, have to do that hard install one, two, three, four, sometimes many more, just to get a game going when you could just have a simple CD-ROM. Miss showed us the way, the truth, and I'm excited to talk about this one. Absolutely. So let's jump right into it. Mist is a graphic adventure puzzle video game designed by the Miller brothers, Robin and Rand. It was developed by Cyan Inc., published by Broderbund, and initially released for the Macintosh personal computer platform in 1993. In the game, players travel via a special book to the Island of Mist. There, players solve puzzles, and by doing so, travel to four other worlds, known as Ages, which reveal the backstory of the game's characters. Mist was a surprise hit. Critics lauded the ability of the game to immerse players in its fictional world. It has since been considered one of the best video games ever made. Selling more than 6 million copies, Myst became the best-selling PC game until The Sims exceeded its sales in 2002. Myst helped drive adoption of the new CD-ROM format, spawned a multimedia franchise, and inspired clones, parodies, and new genres of video games. Multiple remakes and ports of the game to other platforms have been released, as well as spin-off novels and other media. So let's talk a little bit more about those two brothers. In 1988, brothers Rand and Robin Miller were living apart in the United States. Robin was taking a year off from university, writing and trying to establish state residency. Rand was a computer programmer for a bank. Rand approached his brother with the idea of making an interactive storybook using HyperCard. The brothers were not big video game players themselves, although they were familiar with Dungeons & Dragons and had played Zork. In his parents' basement, Robin did not own a computer himself. Robin began drawing pictures and creating a non-linear story that would eventually become their first game, The Manhole. The Manhole and the games that followed, Cosmic Osmo and Spelunks, 
were specifically aimed at children and shared the same aesthetics. Black and white graphics, point-and-click gameplay, a first-person point of view, and explorable worlds. Robin recalled that the games were more about exploration than narrative. Quote, In the projects we did for children, we didn't really tell stories. They were just these worlds that you could explore. Around 1990, the brothers decided to create a game that would appeal to adults. Among their goals were believable characters, a non-linear story, and for the player as protagonist to make ethical choices. The Millers pitched the game to Activision under the title The Grey Summons. Robin recalled that Activision told them to stick to children's games. At the time of the rejection, they were not doing well financially. Quote, We were eating rice and beans and government cheese, and that was our diet. Facing the end of their game-producing career, Japanese developer Sunsoft approached the Millers to create an adult-oriented game. Like with the Grey Summons, the Millers wanted their game to have a non-linear story with believable characters and an ethical choice. They also wanted to produce a game with far more impressive graphics than their previous efforts. At one point, they considered making the game entirely hand-drawn. Finally, they knew their story would be a mystery. Development of Myst began in 1991. The game's creative team consisted of brothers Rand and Robin, and with help from sound designer Chris Brandcamp, 3D artist and animator Chuck Carter, Richard Watson, Bonnie McDowell, and Ryan Miller, who together made up Cyan Inc. Myst was the largest and most time-consuming collaboration Cyan had attempted at that point. Cyan took inspiration from games like Zork, Star Wars Mythic Universe, portals to other worlds like in C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, and the mysterious islands of old literature like the works of Jules Verne. The game's name, as well as the overall solitary and mysterious atmosphere of the island, was inspired by the book The Mysterious Island by Verne. Sunsoft was not interested in the PC market and was focused on the video game console market instead. At the time, consoles had no hard drives and small memory buffers, meaning the game had to be designed around these technical constraints. To solve this issue, they compartmentalized parts of the game's environments into the different ages. The Millers decided that most people did not like puzzles. Thus, a good puzzle would feel familiar and part of the world. Not like a puzzle, but something for players to figure out like a circuit breaker in their house, using observation and common sense. Cyan did not have fans to please, and did not know exactly who the game would appeal to. Robin felt like they did not have to second-guess their choices and could explore the world as we were designing and build a game for themselves. In a 2016 interview, Rand Miller stated that they strive to design the puzzles in Myst and their subsequent games by trying to balance three aspects, the puzzles themselves, the environment, and the story. Rand also stated that they wanted to make sure that clues to the solutions to puzzles were apparent and presented to the player in a manner for these connections to be made. Quote, once the player finds the solution, if they blame us, then we haven't done a good job. But if they blame themselves, then we have. The Millers prepared a seven-page game proposal for Sunsoft from their ideas, mostly consisting of maps of the islands that they had envisioned. Cyan proposed Mist to Sunsoft for $265,000, more than double what they thought it would cost to develop the game, but ultimately less than the game's final cost. Sunsoft had asked the brothers if their game would be as good as the upcoming The Seventh Guest, 
another CD-ROM video game that had been shown in public preview demonstrations. The Millers assured them it would. After getting the go-ahead, Cyan playtested the entire game in a role-played Dungeons & Dragons form to identify any large issues before entering full production. Myst was not only the largest collaboration Cyan had attempted at the time, but also took the longest to develop. According to Rand Miller, the brothers spent months solely designing the look and puzzles of the ages, which were influenced by earlier whimsical worlds made for children. Much of the early development time was spent devising puzzles and the ages, and the story was secondary. Quote, we were place designers, and the maps kind of fueled the story, Rand said. The plot evolved in tandem with the changing environment, developing new story details with each new building in the world. The climactic ending with Atris was a later development in the game's story after Cyan realized they wanted to create a more complicated ending. In retrospect, Robin felt that Mist did not quite provoke the emotional reaction and ethical quandary they set out to create. The game was created on Macintosh computers, principally the Macintosh Quadra 700, using the HyperCard software. One of the first major discoveries Cyan had was how effective 3D rendering software was compared to hand-drawn figures that they had used on their previous titles, making it easy to create the worlds of mist. Additionally, 3D rendering allowed them to use color, something lacking from their previous titles. Robin generally focused on rendering out the environment using Stratavision 3D, with some additional modeling in Macromedia Macromodel, while Rand would place those images into HyperCard to link them up and test the puzzle aspects. Overall, Mist contains 2,500 frames, one for each possible area the player can explore. Final images for the game were then edited and enhanced using Photoshop 1.0. In addition to the indoor settings, Mist featured exterior environments for each age. At first, the developers had no idea how they would actually create the physical terrain for the ages. Eventually, they created grayscale height maps, extruding them to create changes in elevation. From this basic terrain, textures were painted onto a color map which was wrapped around the landscapes. Objects such as trees were added to complete the design. Rand noted that attention to detail allowed Mist to deal with the limitations of CD-ROM drives and graphics, stating, quote, a lot can be done with texture, like finding an interesting texture you can map into the tapestry on the wall spending a little extra time to actually put the bumps on the tapestry, putting screws and things. These are the things you don't necessarily notice, but if they weren't there, would flag to your subconscious that this is fake. When Cyan began development, developing believable characters was a major hurdle. The brothers were limited to one-way communication with the player, and at any point, a player could choose to walk away and break the spell of the game, so to say. Displaying video in the game was initially infeasible. Designing around the limits, the designers created the trap books, which were location-specific, one-way communication devices. The release of QuickTime, halfway through development of the game, solved that video issue that they were having. The original HyperCard Macintosh version of Myst had each age as a unique HyperCard stack. Navigation was handled by the internal button system in HyperTalk scripts with image and QuickTime movie display passed off to various plugins. Essentially, Myst functions as a series of separate multimedia slides linked together by commands. 
The main technical constraint that impacted MIST was slow CD-ROM drive read speeds. Few consumers had anything faster than single-speed drives, limiting the speed of streaming data off the disk. Cyan had to go to great lengths to make sure all the game's elements loaded as quickly as possible. Images were stored as 8-bit PICT resources with custom color palettes and QuickTime still image compression. Animated elements such as movies and object animations were encoded as QuickTime movies with Cinepak compression. In total, there were more than 66 minutes of QuickTime animation. This careful processing made the finished graphics look like true color images despite their low bit depth. The stills were reduced in size from 500 kilobytes to around 80 kilobytes. The Millers tried to allocate files on the physical location of the spiral track on the CD in a manner as to reduce the seek time for images in movies that were closely related as to reduce any apparent in-game delay as the player transitions from scene to scene. Cyan playtested the game with two people sitting in front of the game, finding that they would converse with each other and vocalize their likes and dislikes compared to one person silently playing. Rand and Robin sat behind the testers taking notes and could make on-the-fly changes and fixes. Cyan wanted the interface of the game to be invisible and to craft a game that a wide audience would enjoy. Early on, they had decided that there would be no inventory, enemies, or ways to die. Eventually, they included a save system as a concession to the fact that it would take most players months to complete the game. Among the problems testers discovered with the story was that Myst initially had no inciting incident. In response, Cyan added a note from Atris to Catherine that clued players into the existence of a chamber by the dock that played a message from Atris and explained the game's objectives. Now, Myst's gameplay consists of a first-person journey through an interactive world. Players can interact with specific objects on some screens by clicking or dragging them. The player moves by clicking on locations shown on the screen. The scene then crossfades into another frame, and the player can explore the new area. Mist has an optional zip feature to assist in rapidly crossing areas already explored. When a lightning bolt cursor appears, players can click and skip several frames to another location. While this provides a rapid method of travel, it can also cause players to miss important items and clues. Some items can be carried by the player in red, including journal pages, which provide backstory. Players can only carry a single page at a time, and pages return to their original locations when dropped. To complete the game, the player must fully explore the Island of Mist. There, the player discovers and follows clues to be transported via linking books to several ages each of which is a self-contained mini-world. Each of the ages, named Seleninic, Stoneship, Mechanical, and Channelwood, requires the user to solve a series of logical, interrelated puzzles to complete its exploration. Objects and information discovered in one age may be required to solve puzzles in another age, or to complete the game's primary puzzle on Mist. For example, in order to activate a switch, Players must first discover a combination to a safe, open it, and use the matches found within to start a boiler. Apart from its predominantly nonverbal storytelling, Myst's gameplay is unusual among adventuring computer games in several ways. The player is provided with very little backstory at the beginning of the game, and no obvious goals or objectives are laid out. This means that players must simply begin to explore, 
There are no obvious enemies, no physical violence, no time limit to complete the game, and no threat of dying at any point. The game unfolds at its own pace and is solved through a combination of patience, observation, and logical thinking. And so let's discuss the story of Myst a little bit. Players assume the role of an unnamed person who stumbles across an unusual book titled Myst. The player reads the book and discovers a detailed description of an island world called Myst. Placing their hand on the last page, the player is whisked away to the world described and is left with no choice but to explore the island. Myst contains a library where two additional books can be found, colored red and blue. These books are traps that hold Cirrus and Achnar, the sons of Atris, who once lived on Mist Island with his wife Catherine. Atris writes special linking books that transport people to the worlds or ages that the books describe. From the panels of their books, Cirrus and Achnar tell the player that Atris is dead. Each brother blames the other for the death of their father, as well as the destruction of much of Atris's library. Both plead for help to escape. The books are missing several pages, rendering the sun's messages unclear and riddled, and riddled with static. As the player continues to explore the island, books linking to more ages are discovered hidden behind complex mechanisms and puzzles. The player must visit each age, find the red and blue pages hidden there, and return to Mist Island. These pages can then be placed in the corresponding books. As the player adds more pages to these books, the brothers can be seen and heard more clearly. After collecting four pages, the brothers can talk clearly enough to tell the player where the fifth and final missing page for their book is hidden. If the player can complete either book, that brother will be set free. The clearer dialogue also allows the player to more accurately judge each brother's personality. The player is left with a choice to help Cirrus, Aknar, or neither. Cirrus and Aknar Bed the player not to touch the green book that is stored in the same location as their final pages, claiming it to be another trap book like their own. In truth, it leads to Denis, where Atris is imprisoned. When the book is open, Atris asks the player to bring him a final page that is hidden on Mist Island. Without it, he cannot bring his sons to justice. The game has several endings depending on the player's actions. Giving either Cirrus or Aknar the final page of their book causes the player to switch places with the sun, leaving the player trapped inside the prison book. Linking to Denis without the page Atris asks for leaves the player and Atris trapped on Denis. Linking to Denis with the page allows Atris to complete his missed book and return to the island. Upon returning to the library, the player finds the red and blue books gone and burn marks on the shelves where they used to be. Now, when it comes to the music and sound, Chris Brandcamp produced most of the ambient and incidental sounds in the game. To make sure the sounds fit, Brandcamp had to wait until the game's visuals were placed in context. Sound effects were drawn from unlikely sources, as Derek knows. The noise of a fire in a boiler was created by driving slowly over stones in a driveway because recordings of actual fire did not sound like fire burning. The chimes of a large clock tower were simulated using a wrench, then transposed to a lower pitch. For the bubbles, which he recalled as the most hateful sound, was created from the bubbles in the toilet using various tubes blown. And at first, Mist had no music, 
because the Millers did not want music to interfere with the gameplay. After a few tests, they realized that the background music did not adversely affect the game, alluding to Super Mario Bros. In fact, quote, seemed to really help the mood of certain places that you were at in the game. Robin Miller ended up composing 40 minutes of synthesized music that was used in the game and later published as Mist, the soundtrack. Mixing and effects were done on an EMU Proteus MPS synthesizer. The soundtrack was recorded over the course of two weeks' evenings. Initially, Cyan released the soundtrack via mail order service, but before the release of Mist's sequel, Riven, Virgin Records acquired the rights to release the soundtrack, and the CD was re-released on April 21st, 1998. Mist's success led to the game being ported to multiple platforms, including the Saturn, PlayStation, PlayStation 3, PlayStation Portable, Android, iPhone, Nintendo DS, 3DS, Jaguar CD, Amiga OS, CDI, and 3DO consoles. There was also a version developed and even previewed for the Sega CD, but it was never released by Sunsoft. There was also a PC remake titled Mist Masterpiece Edition, which was an updated version of the original Mist, released in May 2000. It featured several improvements over the original game's multimedia. The images were re-rendered in 24-bit true color instead of the original Mist 256 colors, aka 8-bit. The score was remastered, and sound effects were enhanced. Real Mist Interactive 3D Edition was a remake of Mist released in November 2000 for Windows PCs, and in January 2002 for Mac. Unlike Mist and the Masterpiece Edition, the gameplay of Real Mist featured free roaming, real-time 3D graphics instead of point-and-click pre-rendered stills. Weather effects like thunderstorms, sunsets, and sunrises were added to the ages, and minor additions were made to keep the game in sync with the story of the Mist novels and sequels. The game also added a new sixth age called Rhyme, which is featured in an extended ending, as well as the addition of Tiana's grave on Mist Island. Real Mist was developed by Cyan Incorporated and Sunsoft and published by Ubisoft. While the new interactivity of the game was praised, Real Mist ran poorly on most computers of the time. Robin Miller expressed frustration with Real Mist, saying, I only saw Real Mist after it was released. As a remake, it was a lapse of reason and directionless. Overt merchandising of the original Mist. It definitely wasn't how we originally envisioned Mist, as was promoted. Real Mist Masterpiece Edition, a visually enhanced revision running on the Unity engine that also includes the graphics of the original Mist game, was released on Windows and Mac OS on February 7, 2014. The remake was updated to version 2.0 on January 28, 2015, receiving a significant graphical overhaul in which several bugs were fixed and the detail of many models and textures was upgraded. Now, as Derek had said, there were several console and handheld ports, and we'll start with on May 18th, 2012, the PlayStation Network released a port for Myst in the form of a PS1 Classic for the PlayStation 3 and PSP. In November 2005, Midway Games announced that they would be developing a remake of Myst for the PlayStation Portable. The remake would include additional content that was not featured in the original Myst, including the Rhyme Age that was earlier seen in Real Myst. The game was released in Japan and Europe in 2006, and the U.S. version was released in 2008. 
A version of Myst for the Nintendo DS was also released in December 2007. The version features remastered video and audio using source code specifically rewritten for the Nintendo DS. The remake features Rhyme as a playable age with all new graphics set. This version of the game was released in Europe on December 7, 2007, courtesy of Midway. It was released in North America on May 13, 2008, originally published by Navara and later reissued by Storm City Games. The version was heavily panned by the gaming press, with an aggregate score of 43 out of 100 on Metacritic. This version was again later re-released for Nintendo 3DS, published by Funbox Media in Europe, and Maximum Family Games in North America and Australia. The game later appeared in digital format via the Nintendo eShop in North America on November 15, 2012, and in Europe on September 5, 2013. In February 2005, Cyan and Mean Hamster Software released Myst for the Microsoft Windows mobile platform. Riven was ported shortly after. In August 2008, Cyan announced that the company was developing a version of Myst for Apple's iOS. The game was made available to download from the iTunes App Store on May 2, 2009. The original download size was 727 megabytes, which was considered very large by iPhone standards. An updated version of Real Mist was released for iPad 2 and above, with improved graphics over the original PC release on June 14, 2012. A version for Android devices based on the Real Mist was released January 26, 2017, and we also had a similar port of Riven that same year. And finally, Real Mist Masterpiece Edition was released for the Nintendo Switch on May 21, 2020. And of course, there was a 3D remake for virtual reality and other platforms. Cyan announced a new remake of Myst for high-definition screens and virtual reality, with the game's worlds fully created in free-roam 3D environments using Unreal Engine 4, along with features like puzzle randomization, in September 2020. Myst for the Oculus Quest and Oculus Quest 2 was released on December 10, 2020. The VR version, adapted for flat-screen monitors, was released on August 26, 2021 for Windows, Mac OS, Xbox Series X and S, and Xbox One. And so let's talk about the general reception. Myst was generally praised by critics. Computer Gaming World assured its readers that the game was not like other CD-ROM games that were high on glitz and low on substance. Myst is everything it's touted to be and is quite simply the best Macintosh CD-ROM game. It praised the game's open-world nature, lack of death, and straightforward and simple storyline. The magazine stated that the mesmerizing and stunning graphics and sound were not the star of the show, the substance of the game is every bit as good as its packaging, and concluded that Myst is bound to set a new standard. In April 1994, the magazine called it an artistic masterwork. Jeff Koch reviewed Myst in Pyramid No. 8 in July and August of 1994 and stated that it is the first adventure game in which I left feeling as though I had visited a real place. Wired and the New York Times were among the publications that pointed to Myst as evidence that video games could, in fact, evolve into an art form. Entertainment Weekly reported that some players considered Myst's virtual morality a religious experience. RS University professor Soren Pold 
pointed to Mist as an excellent example of how stories can be told using objects rather than people. Laura Evanson, writing for the San Francisco Chronicle, pointed to adult-oriented games like Mist as evidence the video game industry was emerging from its adolescent phase. GameSpot's Jeff Sangstack wrote that Mist is an immersive experience that draws you in and won't let you go. Writing about Mist's reception, Greg M. Smith noted that Mist had become a hit and was regarded as incredibly immersive despite most closely resembling, quote, the hoary technology of the slideshow with accompanying music and effects. Smith concluded that Mist's primary brilliance lies in the way it provides narrative justification for the very things that are most annoying about the technological constraints imposed on the game. For instance, Macworld praised Mist's designers for overcoming the occasionally debilitating slowness of CD drives to deliver a consistent experience throughout the game. The publication went on to declare Mist the best game of 1994 stating that Mist removed the most annoying part of adventure games. Vocabularies that you don't understand, people you can't talk to, wrong moves that get you killed and make you start over. You try to unravel the enigma of the island by exploring the island, but there's no time pressure to distract you. No arbitrary punishments put in your way. Some aspects of the game still received criticism. Several publications did not agree with the positive reception of the story. Jeremy Parrish of OneUp.com noted that while its lack of interaction and continual plot suited the game, Mists helped end the adventure game genre. Edge stated the main flaw with the game was that the game engine was nowhere near as sophisticated as the graphics. Heidi Fournier of Adventure Gamers noted that a few critics complained about the difficulty and lack of context of the puzzles, while others believed these elements added to the gameplay. The game is so difficult that Broderbund included a blank pad of paper for taking notes. The Miller brothers estimate that half or less of players left the starting island. Similarly, critics were split on whether the lack of a plot that players could actually change was a good or bad element. In 1996, Next Generation called Myst gaming's bleakest hour, saying the static graphics and purely trial and error puzzles epitomized poor game design. The magazine said its commercial success, which they owed chiefly to its popularity among non-gamers as a CD-ROM showcase, had led to many other games emulating its negative aspects. In a 2000 retrospective review, IGN declared that Myst had not aged well and that playing it, quote, was like watching hit TV shows from the 70s. People watch that, <laughs> you wonder in horror. Myst was named Best Adventure Slash Fantasy Role-Playing Game at the 1994 Cody Awards and received an honorable mention in Electronic Entertainment's 1993 Breakthrough Game category, which ultimately went to the seventh guest. That magazine's editors wrote, One of the best-looking, best-sounding games ever, the Macintosh version of Myst sets new standards for the effective use of CD-ROM. Myst was also a runner-up for Computer Gaming World's 1993 Adventure Game of the Year award, but lost to Gabrielle Knight, Sins of the Fathers, and Day of the Tentacle, which was a tie. In 1996, the magazine ranked Myst 11th on its list of the most innovative computer games. Reviews for the game's console ports generally reflected each critic's attitude toward the original game, 
as critics agreed that the ports for 3DO, Saturn, and PlayStation are virtually identical to the PC original. For example, Sushi X of Electronic Gaming Monthly gave the 3DO version a 5 out of 10, remarking, The graphics and sounds are decent, but the game never really appealed to me on the PC. While his co-reviewer, Daniel Carpenter, gave it a 7 out of a 10, and assessed that this game was all the rage when it debuted on the PC, and that excitement should follow through on the 3DO. In one of the more enthusiastic reviews for Myst, GamePro gave the 3DO version a perfect 5 out of 5 in all four categories, which were graphics, sound, control, and fun factor, concluding, Beautiful and enchanting, Myst will thrill you and make you think at the same time. The Jaguar CD version was largely ignored by reviewers, but GamePro commented that apart from the Jaguar CD's lack of a mouse peripheral and occasionally longer load times, this version too is identical to the PC original. However, the 3DS version received negative reviews even from critics who felt that Myst's popularity was merited, citing graphics and audio well below the 3DS's capabilities and the use of awkward circle pad controls in lieu of the 3DS's touchscreen. Now, Myst was, I know we talked about the, the nays and the yays, but Myst was an immense commercial success. Along with the seventh guest, it was widely regarded as a killer application that accelerated the sales of CD-ROM drives. Rand Miller recalled thinking before the game's release that selling 100,000 copies would be mind-blowing. Rotorbund sold 200,000 copies of the Macintosh version in six months after its September 1993 debut. Such sales would have been enough to make it a best-selling PC game and were extraordinary in the much smaller Macintosh market. Although requiring a CD drive further reduced the potential market, the difficulty of software piracy for CD-ROM software before CD burners became popular also helped sales. The game sold 500,000 copies in its first year. Myst was the best-selling PC game throughout the 1990s until The Sims exceeded its sales in 2002 and was the top-selling game in the U.S. for a total of 52 months between March 1993 and April of 1999. Now, Myst's achievements led to a number of games which sought to copy its success, referred to as Myst clones. Its success baffled some, who wondered how a game that was seen as little more than an interactive slideshow turned out to be a hit. As early as December 1994, Newsweek compared Myst to an art form destined to gather critical acclaim and then dust on the shelves. Some developers of adventure games concurrent to Myst's release were critical of its success. Due to the number of subsequent video games that copied Myst's style compared to traditional adventure games. These games diluted the market with poorly received clones and were perceived as contributing to the decline of the genre. Others criticized Myst as the ultimate anti-arcade game, as it was much more relaxed and casual than anything that was released since 1972, as there were no lives, no dying, no score, and no time limit. No physical agility or reflexes were required. The only pressure was that which you imposed upon yourself to solve the puzzles and complete the storyline. However, Myst, along with other published works using the CD-ROM format, had created a new way of thinking about presentation in video games due to the nature of the CD-ROM, whereas most games before could be viewed as games of emergence, 
in which game elements combined in novel and surprising ways to the player. Myst demonstrated one of the first games of progression, where the player is guided through predefined sets of encounters. This helped to provide alternative experiences atypical of usual video games, and subsequently helped to validate the art house approach used in many indie video games developed in the 2000s. Myst's success led to several sequels. Riven was released in 1997 and continues Myst's storyline, with Atris asking the player to help him rescue his wife, Catherine. Presto Studios and Ubisoft developed and published Myst 3 Exile in 2001. Myst 4 Revelation was developed and published entirely by Ubisoft and released in 2004. The latest game in the franchise is Myst 5 End of Ages, developed by Cyan Worlds and released in 2005. In addition to the main games, Cyan developed Uru, Ages Beyond Myst. The multiplayer component of Uru was initially cancelled, but GameTap eventually revived it as Myst Online, Uru Live. After Uru Live was cancelled, the game was released as an open-source title. The Miller Brothers collaborated with David Wingrove to produce several novels based on the Myst universe, which were published by Hyperion. The novels, entitled Myst, The Book of Atris, Myst, The Book of Tiana, and Myst, The Book of Denis, fill in the game's backstory and were packaged together as The Myst Reader. By 2003, the Myst franchise had sold over 12 million copies worldwide, with Myst representing more than 6 million copies in the figure. Myst became a cultural touchstone of the day. The game was so popular, the Miller brothers appeared in advertisements for The Gap. Actor Matt Damon wanted the Bourne Conspiracy video game to be a puzzle game like Myst, refusing to lend his voice talent to the game when it was turned into a shooter instead. Myst has also been used for educational and scientific purposes. Becta recognized a primary school teacher, Tim Rylands, who had made literacy games using Myst as a teaching tool, and researchers have used the game for studies examining the effect of video games on aggression. A parody computer game, Piss, was released in 1996. The game is a satirical free roam of Myst Island, which had been apparently vandalized by frustrated visitors. Starring John Goodman, the parody cost far more to develop than the original. Myst was added to the collection of video games of the Museum of Modern Art in 2013, where it is displayed as a video presentation. In retrospect, Myst is considered to be a precursor to casual games that gain popularity with browser platforms and mobile devices, which typically do not require players to act quickly, as well as a preliminary example of a walking simulator that allows players to explore and discover the game's narrative at their own pace. Cyan's sequels to Myst also indirectly served to popularize escape room games, which provide similar puzzle-solving experiences, but in a much more confined space. Disney approached Cyan Worlds about constructing a theme park inspired by Myst, which included scouting an island area within Disney's Florida properties that Rand Miller felt was perfect for the Myst setting. The television streaming service Hulu had obtained the rights to create a television series around Myst in May 2015. The series would explore the origin of the main island featured in Myst. The Hulu series was to be produced by Legendary Television, which had acquired the television rights from Cyan for the series in late 2014. The show was to have been produced by Matt Tolmach and written by Evan Doherty. 
Rand Miller stated in a September 2016 interview that with the show, we're farther along now than we've been in a long time, but timelines remain uncertain. In June 2019, Village Roadshow Pictures announced they had acquired the rights to make missed films, television programs, and other programming, leaving the fate of the legendary television vehicle in doubt. Ashley Edward Miller was announced as the showrunner and writer for the show's pilot. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I think the last chunk of what you and I were discussing there and bringing up is such a good summation of why Mist matters in the gaming universe and why this sphere is much larger than some kind of angry reviewers in the 90s. I mean, you know, we're coming into, especially like the mid into late 90s, more serious games, more adult-related games, M ratings getting handed out left, right, and center. Coming to that point, especially with Sony entering it, yep. uh, PC getting more to that. And this is really the start, and I think that's a great part. It's the start of cozy games. It's really the start of like, hey, do what you want. There's no time limit. Explore what you need. And it makes so much more sense in retrospect, seeing those reviews of like, hey, it's beautiful. It's a piece of art. And then everyone else saying, it's the death of video games. Games are <laughs> done. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's... Something that we've talked about is sort of that early era of video games where everything was having a just a really weird time getting away from those arcade elements mm-hmm. of things where it's like high scores and just, you know, basically me- muscle memory and getting through different levels or whatever it might be just through basically that and getting that high score and putting your initials in the machine. And, and that stuff is all fun. And I think it still has a place. And I, you know, I, I enjoy going back and playing those games, but you're absolutely right. And one of the things that I really wanted to draw the comparison to before we even said it in the episode was the indie market of games, because mm-hmm. when you think about mist and its development and a lot of these games in the nineties where they were these like smaller studios or these, People just doing passion projects. I mean, then you see, <laughs> it's just, it's interesting to draw the comparison because you see the success of Mist with these two very passionate brothers. Then you see sort of where the corporate version of Mist comes out. And one of the brothers is basically like, yeah, this is nothing like the experience that we wanted um, at all. And so that's why it probably was received poorly because they looked at this as a, just a marketing thing that they could do, and that's what they did. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're in an era of video games where there's all these big companies involved, 
uh, deadlines that they want to meet in order. Like sometimes they'll release unfinished products. And then at the same time, you have this other subset of video game developers that are these very passionate small studios or these individual developers that just make the games that they want to make that end up being smash hits as well. And so I'm glad that this effort and this sort of mentality in video games is still alive and well, and Myth showed that you could do it back in the 90s, and I think that there are a lot of developers now that are still showing that you can do it today. Yeah, it's, it's a huge point with that, because we're even getting those re-releases today that are cash grabs. We saw that in some of the GTAs, with GTA San Andreas um, and a couple others that were just like not done well clunky worse than their originals and it is that cash grab in between making it and you're right and and like it's rare to see especially a company owner come out who made the game and is like yeah we messed that up (laughs) like i totally wasn't part of it because i just like trusted them to do it but it was definitely just a cash grab yeah that's definitely how i feel and i think a lot of us feel that way right now where you know the gaming sphere is catching up with the TV and movie and various other spheres of entertainment in terms of being like worth billions and billions and billions of dollars, more than it ever was thought to have been in 1996, 1993, various, you know, when these games are being released and it is becoming kind of bloated in that way, but we seek that salvation of like, Hey, I want something that's different. That's not just a re-release of call of duty. That's not just a re-release of a popular game again or a movie property or something that is definitely half quarter not even totally finished you come to the indie market you find something that is quote-unquote retro styled but it feels good to play you feel these games that are coming out now that are still 8-bit 16-bit you know or even dual colors but are making you want to play it and making it fun and I think that is what Mist was, where it's like, hey, I'm not in this to like play Street Fighter, I'm not in this to punch someone's head off, I'm not in this, you know, to be like this cool arcadey driving game. I just want to chill. I want to get home from school, crack open like a Mr. Pib, and I just want to go through it. And <laughs> that is that's <laughs> you know, way too specific. <laughs> so I know that's what you did. <laughs> so, you know, when you have stuff like that and bringing up the point of them being like, hey, this isn't a gamer's game. It's a non-gamer's game. You're correct. And that's what a lot of indie titles are. They bring over people who may not be gamers into gaming. Look what Animal Crossing did in 2020. Oh, I mean, yeah. it exploded sales. It became like the cult classic that everyone started playing together of like, hey, how's that town going? We can't leave right now. So how's your town going? Yeah. You know, and like bringing this routine. And that brought in just so many other people. Look at the Switch itself bring in non-gamers to be gamers in their own way, whether that's just playing through Stardew Valley, whether that's playing, you know, a Nintendo titled IP or, you know, a silly other fun game. They're all available to us now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that the story of that really does end up being a lot of just care for the product will, I think more often than not result in a good uh, reception of that product. And there were some examples of that really like throughout the episode, I guess that I want to just hit on one of the things that I thought was interesting uh, and really stuck out to me personally was them saying like in the puzzle building process, you know, if they, if the gamer play blames us, 
then we did something wrong. But if the gamer blames themselves, then we know that we did something right. I think that's a really mm-hmm. interesting, introspective view to have. And I think that I personally wish more developers thought about it that way, because I think there are a lot of times in video games, especially the modern games, where we get really caught up in the spectacle of it all, that sometimes the things that should be really obvious are not. Um, mm-hmm. And you sort of think, well, why would they design that in that way? That doesn't really make any sense. Um, versus this style of game where it's like, oh, okay, I see where I made that mistake there. I should have thought about this thing differently. I think that that is a really, just a unique thing to think about. I also thought that the two playtesters at a time to vocalize their opinions was an interesting just a like a good psychological trick of this person might not tell us everything that they don't like within this game. So let's just get two of them in a room talking about it and we'll just observe and do things from there. I think that's a really smart way to go about something like that. Yeah. And be able to tweak it on the fly. You know, if we want to call this a PowerPoint presentation, which who cares? It's fun. It doesn't matter if it's the most graphically insane, intense thing. But yeah, being able to be like, hey, this is not working, or hey, this is kind of weird, and be like, okay, boop, 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 how does this work now? Oh, I like that better. Yeah, and like having those those conversations and making it a human experience. Well, and then just stacking, you know, basically the the way that the files are on the CD-ROM so that they're trying to think about the overall experience. You know, we mm-hmm. could make this game super difficult. So, you know, compare it to Crisis, where it's like, we're going to... make this game that's so like modern and innovative that it's like, well, no one can really play it. These guys instead thought, well, we're going to make this on CD-ROM, but not that many people have a CD-ROM drive and the ones that do are going to maybe have a lower end one. So let's make sure that it fits and to take and, and have that care. I think in that shows just a lot about them in this process. So, I mean, just a few other things that I thought were interesting. The story, you know, encouraging basically them to unravel a mystery. I think that that is, uh, again, really akin to the modern indies. You know, we've done games like that where it is it is a little bit of a mystery that you're just sort of, you know, you're you're playing through the game and sort of just unraveling the story throughout. I think that those type of games are really interesting as well. And I think a game that actually represents that even in more of a modern sense is the full Soulsborne and Elden Ring series. You don't get told anything. You get dropped in. They, you pick up, you start as like a weapon, and you go, okay, go. And you have to fight these bosses and these other things. You don't know what it is. It's ridiculous hard boss fights. And you slowly can unravel some of this world mystery around you, or you could miss it entirely and just play through that game. And I think that takes a huge nod towards Mist in that way of like letting you explore and figure out the ways that you kind of want to do it while unraveling into the end game of it. Absolutely. And the the game that I was thinking of actually was Outer Wilds. Outer Wilds and Firewatch. I mean, those are two games that I think sort of take on that same style of storytelling for sure. Of course, we had the classic sound design uh, thing that people were doing in the 90s. Like, Let's just, you know, go and do crazy things and see what happens. But this one, I will commend them a little bit more for because it wasn't just like, 
hey, we should think about what does a fire sound like? Let's go into the woods and burn some fire. Let's go across the world and do it just to get that sound. Instead, they were thinking more in the, the I think, more classical type of sound design where it's just weird things that make sounds that you wouldn't quite expect that can be associated with a lot of animation and things like that. Oh, yeah. And then last thing that I thought was interesting was just, you know, John Goodman, shout out, St. Louis represent, doing, doing everything, doing <laughs> TV shows, doing video games, Fred Flintstone himself. He's just rocking it, doing a parody that was more expensive than Mist itself for whatever reason, <laughs> making pissed, P-Y-S-T, getting the old Goodman in it. Makes no sense, but hey, it was the 90s. It was I, a wild time. Yeah, man. John Goodman is just such a great like 90s representation. There's just a few people yep. that are emblematic of the 90s Thing, John Goodman. Yeah, I think this absolutely is, is beautiful. So as we come to an end, Derek, let the people know, as always... We told them while we picked it. It's a beautiful game. It's set the stage for the rest of indie titles coming, but what would you give it? I think the game for me it is a tough one because some of those criticisms that were happening, I think I agree with, but only retrospectively, only, mm-hmm. only today. Because you can go and look at the original gameplay for Myst and it's got backgrounds that are, you know, the stages basically look like a, a Super Nintendo game, more or less. You know, a lot of yeah. nostalgia in that style of gameplay. I think that trying to place myself in the 90s, this game is like a, a 9 out of 10. Just a fantastic new development in gaming that really led the way for so many things that even if you are not a fan of that kind of game, maybe you were just like, I just, I want more games like Doom, things like that. You know, that's my throwback game. Like, yeah, a game like Myst is not going to compare. But um, for what it is, what it was trying to do, I think it did a 10 out of 10 job. Just a 9 out of 10 for me. What about you? Yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree with you there. And yeah, retrospectively, there's plenty of games from our childhood that, I think are fond at the time. It's it's kind of hard to jump back into them from modern controls to either a basic looking kind of slow slog. I think of it the same way of trying to play through Pokemon Red and Blue compared to any of the newer versions, mm-hmm. just how slow the OGs were, mm-hmm. just compared to how fast and like technology caught up for it. But I mean, I would have to give it an 11 out of 10, 12 out of 10 for totally redefining the cozy game, the puzzle genre, the platforming genre, the action genre, we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have the Talos principle with it. We wouldn't have Portal if we didn't have Myst to start that off in fun puzzle games. Making puzzle games not just like, oh, turn left, turn right, oh, there it is, or actually physically putting puzzle pieces in, but solving clues, like point-and-click adventure games. We wouldn't really have that. We wouldn't have escape rooms. I mean, this is the idea of like the initial idea of like needing these things to activate those things to make this work is the rudimentary start to what's blowing up all over the world right now is just escape rooms. Yep. And we have escape room video games now in that same way. Then Mist is that precursor to all of that. So even if you try and play it now and you're like, nah, it's okay, I get it. You know, it's, it's very <laughs> rudimentary. Yeah. You have to understand like what 
they were trying to go with of like, we're breaking the entire mold of what's popular right now. We don't think this is going to sell because what people want is Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. And coming up is like some of the hard hit heavy hitters with Mario and everything that's going to be coming in the future years. But they were able to do it and lead the PC market for what was that, 52, 54 weeks? Like years. That's insane. Right? Insane to have. Yeah, how many, like, weeks, sorry, months, 52 months, excuse me, to like have that for years and years and years and years going through is just a testament to the lasting prowess of it. Yeah. So if I had to give it a rating, I would give it an, uh, a, a Wario voice, oh, I miss. <laughs> Out of ten. <laughs> oh, I miss. Oh, I miss. How about an old oh, baby? We got. Uh, it's another classic. It's another classic one. We if got new played. superstars uh, <laughs> sticker Wario. Oh, baby, it's a classic Wario. He's 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 the zaddy of the Mario <laughs> universe. Yeah, yeah. Alex and I we got to hang out a little bit over the uh, holiday break and hit up some Mario Party. Had a good time. Love yep. those games. Also, if you haven't played the Mario Golf yet, got to get that that Wario, that belt buckle, looking like Rodney Dangerfield with the cowboy hat. Absolute legend. That's what I'm saying. Zaddy <laughs> of Mario. But yes, oh, I missed out of 10, bringing it to the top score. Love it. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music. Was given to us by our friend Evan Barr, and our lovely artwork was provided by Aaron Shattuck. Beautiful people, as well as some beautiful people over on our Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash finish the fight. Have a few select members to thank today with Snide T-Bird, Nick Hyman, and Anthony Gooch. Thank you so much for your support. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, please drop us a review. It helps us out a lot, and we love to hear from you. You can also catch us over on Twitch. You can see me at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash sourman70. As well as Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. You can follow this podcast on Instagram and Twitter. We are also on Discord. It's free to join, and we would love to see you there. There is also Q&As in all of the episodes. If you listen to this podcast on Spotify, go ahead and participate in those. If you've got something to say, maybe your answer will get published. Absolutely. And with that, that is our conclusion of Mist. What did you think of it? Did you play it in your childhood or some of the ports? What other groundbreaking or even cozy style games should we cover next? Let us know on all of our outlets and we'll see you on the next one. As always, I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I just got, oh, I missed the joke. I'm my, and I'm Derek <laughs> and this is, And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. It's just the way you said it that time. I was like, oh, I missed. I get it now.